Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, WTIC-FM and WTIC.com. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Arthur House. He is Connecticut's Chief Cybersecurity Risk Officer. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Aaron. Well, first of all, let's start with what that job entails. What that job entails really comes down to two simple things. One is to put together a cybersecurity strategy for the state of Connecticut. And two, to turn that strategy into an action plan. Uh, the governor appointed me to that position in uh, October of 2016. Those were the two main tasks. We finished the first one. We have a strategy. The governor announced it in July of 2017. And we're right now wrapping up the action plan. That will be coming out uh, fairly soon, within the next month or two. What are the highlights of the strategy? The highlights of the strategy are to look at five areas. Uh, Connecticut government municipal government, uh, private business, higher education, uh, and law enforcement, and to address what we need to do in each of those areas. And that's what we did. And we came up with seven principles that apply across the board. Uh, and we looked at all, all five of those areas and came up with strategies for them. What are some of the vulnerabilities that you've identified? Well, the vulnerabilities are quite simple. Uh, it's how are you protecting your system? We start off with the premise that everyone is vulnerable, all businesses, all governments. I mean, if a foreign power can hack into the National Security Agency uh, or the White House or even some of our top corporations, then obviously you and I and, and small businesses and organizations in Connecticut are vulnerable. So what's it take? Well, common sense. Uh, keep up to date on your patches. Uh, practice what we call uh, cyber hygiene, uh, password updates, um, firewalls. Uh, I think it's a good idea to have some specialist look at your company and say, where are your, what are your risks? What are your vulnerabilities? How can you protect it? And are you up to speed? When it comes to state computer systems, how common is it for someone on the outside trying to get into where they're not supposed to be? It is common. It is very common. Unfortunately, um, we have uh, people doing it all the time. Let's let, here, I brought you some information. In Connecticut, 4.8 billion B connection attempts between the state network and external systems each month. That's inbound and outbound, 4.8 billion. Two billion of these attempts are blocked by boundary security. So it's about 40% based on intrusion prevention, firewalls, and so forth, known on by, uh, you know, malicious IP addresses or threat signatures and so forth. So simply, you know, 4.8 billion, 2 billion are blocked. That gives you some quantitative measurement. Uh, email, the state, 38 million email connect connection attempts every month. 85% of these are blocked, Aaron, 85% before they reach the, uh, the users by enterprise email gateway. So um, it's active. It's, it's some people say, do you, do you ever have penetration attempts yes i mean every hour They're, it's going on all the time people are always trying to break in now not all of those blocked attempts are malicious some are just spam or some are just they don't meet the protocol we look at it the other way around is this a safe message or a safe uh communication to go through and if it's not we we delete it 
Do we know if these are coming from the U.S. or internationally? Well, they come from both, and we don't determine where they're coming from unless we have an incident. Uh, so all we know, it's coming in, and, it, and it's, it's and we're deflecting it. Um, after there is a an event, a cyber penetration, we can try to do verification and, and go through and, and uh, attribution, actually, it's called, and try to find out where it comes from. But we do know it comes from all over the world. At this time last week, state officials were, were dealing with one such incident with a virus that got in and spread itself to around 160 state computer systems in 11 state agencies, and uh, officials were working to put a lid on it. Uh, bring us up to date on that. Well, they, you, you got it exactly right. And they did, and it worked. Um, yeah, it was Thursday. Well, let's see. It was Thursday night of last week. We saw some uh, unusual activity, and on Friday it took hold. Um, and uh, it was a version of the WannaCry uh, malware, which was created in, in North Korea. Um, it's dangerous, but it can be... Uh, it can be eliminated by normal patchwork. Now, in Connecticut, we have a federated system, which is to say that each commissioner, each agency is responsible for its own cybersecurity. Um, and uh, we have about 30,000 machines. By that, I mean printers, anything that can be penetrated in Connecticut. And you're right. They got into about 160, 170 of them. We don't want them to get into any at all. But they got into that. Uh, they were detected. Um, and so people went to work. I mean, these are we have some very good state employees trying to stay on top of that. Not as many as we'd like to have, but they're good and they're hardworking. And they uh, they went to work throughout the weekend, isolating those 160, 170 machines, shutting them down, cleaning them out. Uh, there was no noticeable effect. And on Monday morning, people went back to work, and uh, you couldn't see the results of it. But I can tell you that there was a good team of people that had a pr pretty frantic weekend. Uh, away from their families, spent uh, in state office buildings cleaning it up and making sure it was safe. Now, those uh, that penetration could have taken place if the patchwork had been complete throughout Connecticut. Uh, we uh, we have we have a pretty good record on that, but no record is absolutely solid and can prevent every single intrusion. Now, this is a variation of WannaCry, as That's you right. mentioned, which is basically ransomware taking over your computer and, and saying, if you don't pay up, you're not getting your data back. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it hit first in 2017. It's a dangerous virus. And this was a WannaCrypt has come out of it. It's a variation of it. Uh, when it hit in 2017, it did damage around the world. It shut down hospitals in several places. So, yeah, it's, it is quite serious. Uh, and uh, as I say, there is a patch for it. And if you got the patch, you're okay. You got back to your getting back to your original question: What can we do? Well, you can you can make sure you're up to date on your patches. That, that's that's very very important. And the WannaCry penetration attempt just underscored how important it is to stay up to speed on, on your patches. To be clear here, though, there was no ransom request made. All we know is that they got into the machines. There was no. You're right. That's correct. There was no ransom request made. It got into the machines and was detected. And the battle started right away to contain it and then to eliminate it. And in your role as chief cybersecurity risk officer, it's not only making sure that state government systems are secure. It's also working with the private sector. That's correct. That's correct. Private sector, municipal, municipal government, higher ed, private sector. In Connecticut, uh, we have some companies that are 
obviously very sophisticated in their cybersecurity practices. I mean, you can the defense industry, for example, um, the insurance industry, banking industry, financial services. These are companies um, who who would really risk going out of business if they had a serious penetration. I mean, uh, insurance depends on the integrity of its data. Uh, banking, obviously, you got money in there, um, and we're trying to get them all to take it seriously. Uh, the bigger ones tend to. Some of the medium and small don't do an adequate job. Um, One-third of businesses in Connecticut report that the risk of cyber penetration is increasing, but almost half of them uh, take no defensive action. They cite, you know, every dollar that goes into cyber comes out of marketing or product development or any one of a number of other things. Uh, Lack of financial resources is one of the main reasons. Um, Only about half of Connecticut businesses report conducting cyber risk analysis which is vulnerability and penetration testing. Uh, Fewer than half provide cybersecurity training. Um, Fewer than 30% report they know the financial impact of a cyber incident. So I would say they all know about it. They all care about it. But we do not have an adequate response yet. Uh, And we want to get there through collaboration. We want to work with them productively to say, look, this is a problem. And we're at the stage, Aaron, where... Elected officials uh, care about this. If you're a state legislator, or a governor, or a cabinet member, you know, a commissioner, whatever, you can you cannot say when someone asks you what's the state of cybersecurity in Connecticut, in our businesses, in our government. You can't say I don't know. Uh, that ended a long time ago. Uh, you have to know. You have to know what's going on, and you have to know that we're taking it seriously and that we're counterattacking. So, just to take business for example. Um, we're working with uh, the chambers of commerce, uh, with uh, the state business agencies, and with individual companies to say, look, this is a problem. If something happens to you, it's not just you. Uh, it's your employees. It's your customers. It's your shareholders. Uh, it's the community in which you operate. And therefore, we as a state have an interest, have a stake in knowing that you're taking this seriously and you're practicing adequate defense. When companies are, are breached and their customer information gets out there, that can be a disaster on several fronts. You know, think about public relations, think about the, the financial effects. Is there a standard for disclosure when, when something like that happens? Well, disc- no. Disclosure is, um, is still a bit murky. But, but you're absolutely right. Let me, I, let me give you some data on that. Hiscock, which is a British insurance company, did a survey of 4,000 businesses in the UK, in the USA, and some Western European countries. And they found that the damage to a firm's reputation, its standing with customers after cyber attack, can be far more damaging than immediate economic loss. About 20% of small businesses experiencing a cyber attack will simply go out of business. Um, 7% lost customers. An additional 7% said it was more difficult to attract new ones. Um, they, you lose business partners. You, bad publicity can hurt your brand. Uh, 5% said they had to lay off employees after a cyber attack. So, yeah, uh, I mean, th- when a, an attack takes place, it can do damage and lasting damage to a company. Sometimes the share price uh, it takes years for it to recover from the hit it takes once it's taken place. Now, your question: What do you have to what do you have to reveal? Well, it's like anything else. If it happens, you better get out ahead of it. You better have an explanation and explain what happened, 
what, what steps you're taking, why it won't happen again. The worst possible case is for a cyber attack to take, to take place and for the company not to report it and take action, but for someone else, an employee, a customer, somebody in the community to start allegations, rumors, and then you have to play catch up ball. That's the worst possible scenario. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Arthur House. He is Connecticut's chief cybersecurity risk officer. On the micro level, what can the average person who might have a, a laptop or a, a you know a desktop at home, how can they protect themselves? Well, first of all, there are there is basic uh, cyber hygiene. Uh, if you want to know more about it, by the way, uh, we do have um, a cybersecurity strategy which is which is available online. Uh, you can just Google Connecticut uh, cybersecurity strategy, or if you want it, it's uh, w, it's www.ct.gov, gov slash ct cyber library, www.ct.gov slash ct cyber library. Now, simple things like uh, cyber hygiene, uh, have a good firewall, uh, renew your password from time to time, make sure that you do the patches that your security firm suggests you do. Um, I think it's we're getting to the stage that it's sort of like doing your taxes at this time of year. Maybe you can do them all by yourself uh, if you're very smart and you know the laws and all that sort of thing. But more and more people try to get some help from an accountant. Same same thing. There are cyber individuals out there. There are IT professionals who will look at your private system, tell you if you're safe or not, tell you what your vulnerabilities are. But um, have backups. Uh, it can really be difficult for somebody whose computer is frozen. They lose all their files. They lose all their records they've had. Uh, and that usually can be prevented. Um, the attackers, the, the penetrators tend to go to those which are not protected. And often if it's like they often say about burglary on a house. You get out on the street and those who have burglary protection systems and so forth and the door is locked and all that, leave them alone. you got somebody whose door is unlocked and has no protection is the one that's more likely to be burglarized. Same thing on computers. Practice good cyber hygiene and protect yourself. Have backup, have patches, change your password, do that kind of thing. And unfortunately, you know, some of those who are the most diligent in that are the ones who've already been hacked and penetrated. Uh, we all know what it's like to have these emails from your friends that come through and then your friend has to send out an email saying, gee, I've been penetrated in that email that you just got from me saying, please send money because I'm being held prisoner in Spain or something, ignore it and so forth. We want people to take those proactive measures before they're penetrated. You used to be a utility regulator and the debate has been raging about net neutrality. Yeah. What are your views on regulating the internet like a public utility? Yeah, well, let me thank you for saying I used to be because my thoughts on that are no longer relevant to the process. But I do have thoughts. I, I Right now they're discussing in the Connecticut legislature the net neutrality and the Consumer Council has come out in favor of net neutrality. And my view just simply as a citizen now is that um, when I punch something up on a search engine or somewhere else, I'd like to think that the first ones that come up are the ones that are most interesting or the most helpful not the ones that are a result of somebody paying money to the search engine. So that if I'm looking for a solution, a product, a service, a device, whatever, I'd like to know that if there's an even shot that everyone has of making that list and it doesn't go to somebody who's paid to be up at the top because they may not be the best one. So 
I, I just think that as a consumer, net neutrality makes good sense. But as, thank you for pointing out that I no longer have a th authority in this area. So those are just the views of an ex-regulator and, and now just a citizen. You also used to be director of communications for the director of national intelligence. And, and I wonder if you have any thoughts on what's been going on at, in Washington recently with Jared Kushner, the, the president's son-in-law, his security clearance being downgraded at the White House, and, and other national security issues uh, that are at the forefront these days. Sure. Of course I do, Aaron. And, and again, I'm no longer holding those positions of responsibility. But the intelligence community in the United States, there are 16 intelligence agencies. People know about the most famous, the CIA, the National Security Agency, um, and so on, but but the Defense Department, the Drug Enforcement Agency, uh, each branch of the armed services, uh, the uh, the FBI has an intelligence. So you add them all up, there's 16, and on top of them is the Director of National Intelligence, which brings them all together. It was put together after 9-11, and I worked for the Director of National Intelligence in charge of communications. And I've been sort of disappointed, I guess, to see the, the tension between the intelligence community and the administration. I mean, these are loyal Americans. They're patriotic. They're government servants. They go to work every day to try to make America safer. Um, and they early on got into a spat with the president who said they were a bunch of Nazis. And then when they presented conclusions, they take that quite seriously. A conclusion comes with a level of confidence. And the level of confidence can be, confidence can be uh, low level, moderate level. When the intelligence community renders an opinion with a high level of confidence, it's like saying, I, th I have a high level of confidence that this person robbed this convenience store because I walked in when he or she had a pistol in one hand and the cash from the other and the employee had, had, had the hands up. I mean, you, you, you know it's true because you saw it. And when the intelligence community came out early on and said, with a high level of confidence, we know that the Russians meddled in the election— and the president dismissed it as hogwash, that started a conflict with the intelligence community. This is our best product, and you're dismissing it out of hand. Well, you get on to the security clearance thing. Security clearances are extremely important. They're serious. Um, we have sensitive sources and methods, and when people talk about them inappropriate, they can be compromised. People have been assassinated in other countries because they cooperated with the United States. Recently, in recent years, we've lost a number of our assets in China who have been compromised uh, because they, co they cooperated with, with American intelligence. So you take this to heart. And, and when you are given a security clearance, uh, you swear to protect those secrets. It is illegal to give classified information to somebody who is not cleared. Now, the only people I know of who can do that are the president of the United States and the director of national intelligence. They gave interim clearances usually just for a day. I've seen it, for example, given to the CEO of a company whose company was, uh, was threatened. And the director of national intelligence or the president decided, we need to tell that, that company and that CEO that they are endangered. And so they were told information about dangers facing that company, usually just on a one-time basis. I have never, ever known of people operating uh, on a temporary clearance, which is in the White House. I mean, when I joined, I was brand new, uh, I was not allowed to go meet with my own employees. I had to stay in a public area of the building for two weeks until I was cleared. Uh, and, you know, you, you were not allowed to have contact with, 
with employees with with classified information. I just do not understand how you have dozens, of, evidently, of employees continuing to have access to classified information on a temporary basis. I mean, that's absolutely unheard of. And there are different levels of clearance, right? There are different levels. The, and most members of the military have access to secret clearance. It's the very basic level. But when you deal in national security matters at the White House, I've never been to a meeting. I, I worked at the White House for a year, and I was in intelligence for a few years. I've never been to a meeting on substance that was just at the secret level. You begin at the top secret level, and then there are compartments after that. And so you have to ask me, starting, is everyone cleared for this compartmentalized uh, intelligence within top secret? But I've never seen anything that happens at the secret level. So now you have uh, Kushner and these others who have been downgraded to the secret level. Well, usually when that happens, you have to give up your job. I mean, I know people who have either been fired or, or have had to resign when they're no longer have a top secret clearance because you basically can't work. The starting level for serious work is top secret. And uh, not to have it is makes it very awkward. Suppose you're, suppose you're running a meeting at the White House, uh, national security meeting. Um, it almost I've never known it not to be at the top secret level. And in comes the president's son-in-law. Well, it is illegal for you to share top secret information with them. You're, you're breaking the law if you do that. What do you do? Say, I'm sorry, Mr. Kushner, would you please leave the meeting? I mean, he's the president's son-in-law. Or do you refuse to give him information? You better because that's what the law provides. I mean, it makes for a very awkward situation between the intelligence community and, and this particular situation in the White House right now. Going back to your current role as chief cybersecurity risk officer, how does your experience in the intelligence community inform you in your current job? Well, it's kind of how I got here in the first place that when I was named the chairman of Pura, uh, people in the intelligence community and at the energy department pointed out to me that one of the great vulnerabilities in the United States is in state government because state government um, regulates the utilities, uh, water, gas, electricity, and so forth. And um, basically, they don't deal with cybersecurity or any kind of security. They've got their hands full doing rate cases and every law engineering, uh, you know, uh, rates, public policy, all that sort of thing. Um, so when I came here, I talked to Governor Malloy and said that there's a real interest in Washington in having uh, Connecticut, one state, set the example by looking at cybersecurity. And the governor said, go do it. Uh, he backed me up completely. So we did a strategy and then an action plan for Connecticut's utilities uh, and put it into, into effect. And the governor Led the way. He held a press conference. Um, he met with the uh, the CEOs of the intel of the um, utilities, and we launched. And we have completed our first year of cybersecurity review for Connecticut's utilities. They cooperated, so it, it is a direct connection. And we're starting the second year of review right now. And that fact has attracted national and some international attention. The United that Connecticut is doing that. In our final few seconds, how, how prepared is the utility industry in Connecticut to, to handle cyber attacks? Well, it's a relative question. They are as, they're, they're as, as prepared as any state in the country. Uh, but you never declare security. Uh, protection, you earn it today, and then you've got to go back out and earn it tomorrow. So I, I, you'd hesitate to say that anybody is secure because we're all being attacked all the time. I will say that what our report found was that Connecticut utilities take cybersecurity seriously. 
Uh, they are working on corporate culture. They have good firewalls. Uh, they have good uh, consultants and specialists on there. And they're working very hard to stay secure. That said, uh, as I say, you, you earn your security every day. And, and my, my sense is that that's what they're doing. He is Arthur House, Connecticut's Chief Cybersecurity Risk Officer. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Aaron, it's good to be with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.